Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin with saying, have you ever, I know you have, had your phone out and you're just kind of going through Facebook and going through Instagram. And you're looking at just all these amazing pictures of families. And you're going, wow, they are, it's just beautiful. And you see the, the fun things they're doing, the, the vacations they go on. And uh, you're just thinking, Wow. What a perfect family. It's just, it just seems perfect. Their lives must be perfect, right? Because if it's on Facebook and Instagram, it's true. That's how it is. And, uh, but probably not so. And I, I wanted to show you all a picture, a family picture of, I think this is more what our families look like. <laughs> and this wasn't staged. <laughs> this was with uh, Tara's side of the family in Ohio. And uh, there we are. I think you got picking your nose down here, people just looking off. I'm not sure what I'm doing. And so maybe that's a more accurate picture of a family. We're in a series right now called It's Complicated. And we're looking at romance, families, and friendship. And if you missed last week, I just want to encourage you to take some time and go back and listen to Mark's sermon on romance as the doctor of love shared with us. Uh, no, actually, it was, it was so good to um, look at it, and we have our one image of romance, right? But then to see that there is so much more. So I, I do encourage you to do that. But today, we are going to look at families. And families are very, very complicated. I want to invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, just we thank you for your presence here with us today. As we gather together and, and talk about families, uh, Lord, we, we all come with our own unique families. And for some of us, we, we mention and hear the, the word family, it just conjures up all of these just wonderful, positive, good, maybe memories or just thoughts that come with us, with it. But for others of us, when we hear and think of family, um, there's painful and negative thoughts and experiences and memories, maybe even absent. And, and for many of us, Lord, there is just a mixture of the two. 
Father God, our prayer is that you would meet each one of us right where we're at. That you would open our hearts and our minds to you. And that would, we will see that while you placed us each in our unique families, that we are also part of a larger family, your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever had that experience where uh, you're kind of thinking, you know, my family's probably a little bit more complicated than I thought? I have. For me, it happens when you're bringing someone, introducing someone new to the family. And you're almost like thinking, do I tell them beforehand that my family's a little strange, that this is how it all works out? Or do I afterwards, I have to do the explaining of, yeah, that's just my family. You know, that's uh, who we are. But families are complicated. And here at the Vine, again, our goal is to just simply follow Jesus together. So if that is our goal then what does Jesus then, does he have anything to say about how to deal with our complicated families? Can he even relate? It may surprise some of you, but Jesus had a very complicated family. And today's scripture, which um, is the birth narrative, and you're thinking it's not Christmas time yet, I know. But it's, it's, it's um, spending some time, and this will help us understand his family. And actually the first 17 uh, verses of Matthew or the genealogy of, of Jesus. And so it's the lineage of Jesus. And, and within that lineage, we just see a history that is incredibly complicated. There, there's murder. There's adultery. There's prostitution. Drama and conflict. And then today when we jump into this familiar scripture, like in verse 18 here, we read that this is the birth of Jesus, how it came about. That his mother was pledged to be married to Joseph... But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And I, we've heard that so many times, but it's almost like, hold on a second. She's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Like, that's never happened before. And here's this young teenage girl that finds out that she's pregnant, and it's not from Joseph. That's complicated. Think about that if that were to be today. And then imagine Joseph's emotions, what he would have felt. He's probably thinking, I love this woman. I want to be married to her. I want to honor her. But what do I do? I mean, how am I going to handle this? And as we heard there, it's like, well, maybe I'll just divorce her, but I'm going to do it quietly because I don't want to shame her. Now, many of you here have had experience or dealt with the difficulty and the pain that comes along with divorce. The, the conflict, the confusion, and, and the complexity. And keeping things quiet doesn't mean that there's not going to be suffering involved. The story continues uh, in verse 20. But after you consider this, an angel of the Lord, so after Joseph's considering divorcing her quietly, appears to him in a dream. Again, I almost catch myself like, that's easy just to read through. But put yourself in Joseph. He's having, and here comes this angel in a dream. is appeared to him. That's different. That adds to making it more complicated. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So this is the story of God coming to earth. 
of the Son of God taking on flesh and entering in to our brokenness and to our pain, to our complicated circumstances. And we think of that, that by itself is just amazing. But if I'm honest with you, I just, I, found, I find so much hope within that. Because you see, God's not surprised that our families are complicated. He's not like, oh, didn't see that one coming. That's new. No, he knew before our families were ever formed that they would be messy and that they would be complicated. He also knew and knows that some of the most beautiful things can be brought forth from how complicated it are and some of the pain and things that we have to go through. A great example of this is, is the life of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament had a very complicated family. Joseph was the youngest of the sons and he was the one, he was dad's prized child it seemed. And all of his brothers were jealous of him. It got so bad, this family dynamic, the brothers get together like, what do we do? We had two choices. Do we kill them or do we sell them? They're like, let's just kill them. And they're like, no, that's probably not a good idea. And then, so let's sell them into slavery. Can you imagine your siblings getting to that degree? Come into that. And they do. And then he's sold into slavery. And then after a chain of events, he becomes second in power under Pharaoh. Famine comes to the land and, and his family has to come down into Egypt to, to get food. And they don't know that it's Joseph there in this position of power. It's been years after he's been sold into slavery. And when Joseph sees them, they don't know it's him, but Joseph knows it's his family. And he could have had just revengeful, just bitter thoughts about what they did to him and now what he can do back to them. But that's not what we see what happened. In Genesis chapter 50, we read this. But Joseph said to them, this is to his brothers, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the savings, the saving of many lives. So friends, there is so much great hope that God not only entered in to our complicated lives, but that he can bring, even when our own family members do something and their intention is to maybe hurt us, that God can bring good from that. Jesus said, I, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. Again, he knew that it would be messy, he knew that it would be complicated, and yet that's what he stepped into. And in the opening scene of Jesus' drama, we see how within this, how this baby brings people together, different kinds of people. I mean, we have the shepherds who are out in the fields. These would have been the, the last people that God would have told about. Uh, the coming maybe of his son that you would think that God might have chosen. These are the ones, the shepherds were unclean. They couldn't even go to the temple. Yet God, we're told, brings his best worship team and comes and tells the shepherds. And then we're told that they're wise men, these, these thinkers, these stargazers. These men that were intellectual and they were wealthy. And then they come as well to see this baby Jesus. These are two on opposite sides, two extremes coming together. And we see Jesus doing this later on as well. We see the tax collectors and the Pharisees 
again, the religious and the non-religious coming together. As I was thinking about that, I thought with when it regards to our families, what about those in our families that are almost just extreme opposite? Do you have anybody in your family like that? I believe as we continue to look at this, we'll see that there's hope in the midst of that too. Now, while Jesus' birth is complicated, uh, it may surprise some of you, and, and probably many of you know that Jesus did have brothers and sisters. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? Like, no pressure, right? Well, Jesus did this. What about you? You know, there's no chance comparing yourself. And then Jesus gets to the point where he starts teaching, and, and he refers to himself as the Messiah, the promised one from the prophecy. And even his own siblings are like going, this is a little bit far-fetched, a little bit loony, and I'm, I hope dad doesn't hear what you're saying. And then we're told that even his hometown didn't welcome him. In Luke chapter 4, we read these. They got up and they drove Jesus out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I mean, what an ugly moment. Even his neighborhood friends that he grew up with want to kill him. But notice what's missing from this. What are the words that we don't see? They took him up on the hill in order to throw him off the cliff. And all of his brothers stood there and said, no, that's our brother. You're not going to do that. We don't see that there. We don't see, in a sense, his family standing up for him. I mean, can you believe in yourself when others, those who know you best, don't believe in you? How can you move forward when someone in your family just seems to be pulling you back? What about when your family has two different agendas, what they want you to do? I think Jesus gives us some answers. And, and, and some of the things we see is in what he didn't do. Notice that he didn't try to control his family's behavior. But he also didn't let what they did control his. He didn't demand that they agree with him. He didn't sulk when they insulted him. And he didn't make it his mission to please his family. Now, I wish I could say the same. I think I fail on all of those fronts. I know I definitely do when it comes to sulking and trying to please my own family. And oftentimes when I do that, it's to my own demise. But Jesus, when Jesus' brothers didn't share his convictions, again, he didn't try to force them to, that they needed to. He recognized that his spiritual family could provide for him what his physical family didn't. And if Jesus didn't force his convictions on his own family, what makes us think that at times that we can do that to our own? You know, we can't control how our family responds to us. And when it comes, sometimes it just comes out towards us. And since our hands are tied, what their response might be. I mean, if your father um, is, in a sense, just a jerk, it doesn't matter if you are the world's best daughter. He might still not tell you so. It doesn't matter if your, your aunt wants you to, to have a different career. You can change your career 
a dozen different times, and it's not going to satisfy her. And it doesn't matter maybe if your sister thinks that you got everything and she didn't get what she wanted. And if you were to give everything that she said she wanted, still wouldn't make her happy. When we are tied to um, other people's responses of what they see in us and especially our own families, that can be just feel like we're in bondage. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph. Um, we don't know much about him as a dad. We don't know if he really affirmed Jesus in his ministry. And when it comes to us, I think there is just a natural longing for each of us to just receive that affirmation and that acceptance from our parents. I know it's true for me. I know growing up, um, my dad referred to me, I have two brothers and a sister, and I was referred to as the black sheep by my dad. Now my mom, she was like the, just the consummate encourager. She'd always tell us how great you are. Again, we were the best at everything. And we're like, yeah, mom, we really aren't, but thanks. And she would do that, and she'd always tell us she loved us. But growing up, I longed, I longed for my dad's approval. I longed to hear my dad say, I love you. Good job. We can't be assured that our families are going to give us the blessing and that, we, that we just hope for, right? But we can be assured that God will. God said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. So even if your earthly father doesn't or, or hasn't affirmed you, I want to just to let you know that your, your heavenly father does. Let him fill that void that others can't. Rely on God for that affirmation, that encouragement, and that, that, that love. In Psalm 139, we read that we were knit together in our mother's wombs and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So just to, to rest and to live into those words. Again, having our family's approval is something we all desire, but maybe it's not always possible. But as we look at Jesus, even with that, even though his family maybe not even affirmed his own calling, that didn't deter him from God's calling on his life. So then for us, maybe thinking, well, what happened to Jesus' family? So they weren't real supportive at the beginning, and then what ends up happening to them? In, book, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we read this. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What a change. Those who mocked him, his own family, now worshipped him. Those who pitied him, now pray for him. It makes you think, what if Jesus had disowned them? Or, or what if he had suffocated his own family and demanded that they change? He didn't. He gave his own family the time and the space and the grace that they needed. And through that, we see that they're changed. They changed. One of the brothers became an apostle. The others became missionaries. So I want to encourage you today. To, to, to not lose heart. Whatever 
your family dynamic is, your unique family situation, that God is powerful, his grace is powerful, and it can change not only our own lives, but restore our, our families and bring healing. And I believe that no matter how um, complicated, again, our families are, that uh, God wants to work in and through us, and he wants to use us to be instruments of grace. And I think there are three roles, and I just want to share these with you, that I believe that we can play within the dynamics of our own families. And the first role is this. Is I can play the role of a peacemaker instead of a drama queen, right? And, you know, we know drama queens, and we don't have to, you know, point to the person next to you or maybe think of that person in our family. But they're drama queens, and, it's, and, and even guys sometimes can be drama queens, Right? And when you're five years old, it's kind of cute. It's like, oh, look, she's overreacting, you know. That's fine. She's five. But then that five-year-old is like 25. She's still overreacting. She's still wanting to be a drama queen. She never grew out of it. Drama queens in our families are those people that just stir the pot. They, they want to just create something. They want to create drama. They don't want to settle it down. But what if we decided that we're going to play, instead of the role of a drama queen, that we're going to play the role of a peacemaker? In Matthew chapter 5, in one of Jesus' most famous sermons, he said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is calling us to be peacemakers. What would that look like in your family if you are a peacemaker? For some of us, that might mean that we need to forgive somebody in our own family. And if we're honest, that can be some of the hardest things to do, right? Is to forgive our own family member. I've shared with you all before that in my own family, I've, through forgiveness, we had just witnessed so much healing that has taken place in our family. And for other of us, of us, maybe we're on the other side of it. And it's not that we need to forgive, but we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to go to someone in our family and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you. Intentionally, unintentionally. And to, to seek healing within those. And what I think we'll find when we do that, whether we're, we're the one asking for forgiveness or... or or, or giving forgiveness towards somebody, is that I believe that we might find that those relationships that then become restored, God does some of his most powerful work in our lives through forgiveness. That those relationships that have wounded us, that have caused us so much pain, can be even richer than they ever were before. So are you willing to be a peacemaker in your family, to be an instrument of God's grace. A second role that we can play in our families is that of an encourager. I think it's coming. There we go. That of an encourager instead of a Debbie Downer, right? We all know the Debbie Downers. They're just like, well, one, you don't just turn on the news and there's just bad stuff going all around us. But even within our own families, there's, sometimes there's that person that just everything's bad and they just... Misery loves company. They want to bring everybody down with them, right? 
their life is just, oh, it's just terrible. And, and you just feel bad of being around. I mean, you don't want to say anything good because their life is so bad that that's going to maybe make the whole thing even worse. But what if we decided, you know what? Jesus is the hope of the world. And I am going to breathe hope and life into my family. I am going to be the voice of encouragement. What if we took that posture in our families? What if we said, I'm going to extend encouragement when someone falls and they fail, just as we shared in the, in the prayer of confession, I'm not going to you know, feel, oh, feel so good about that. I, I'm glad, glad that wasn't me, that was them. You know what, when our fam, someone in our family is hurting that bad, whether they brought it upon themselves or they didn't, it doesn't matter. If we're the voice of the encouragement, we turn to them and say, you know what, I love you. Me too. I've made mistakes. And you know what, we're going to get through this together. God's going to give us the strength. And we may not see right now, or we might not ever see on this side of heaven, but God is going to bring good out of this. What if that was our response to those in our family? Will you play the role of an encourager in your family and be an instrument for God? And the third role we can play in our families is a love, the role of a love giver instead of a hater. And quoting the great theologian Taylor Swift, haters going to hate, 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 but shake it off, shake it off, shake it off, right? Let's be love givers. First of all, Jesus calls us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our souls. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in today's context, we aren't talking about outside our families. Our neighbors are our families. To love our families. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we are still far away from God, Christ died for us. He didn't say, I'll wait till you get better, then, then I'll die. Once you kind of earn your way, then we'll figure this thing out. But he died for us. That kind of sacrificial love. God's calling that for us to show that in our families. Not to say, hey, when you start treating me better and when you things are better, then we'll, we'll, everything, we'll have a better relationship. But to love people in the midst of them hurting you, the pain they have caused you, that is powerful. Because if we don't love those folks in our own families in those situations, what if no one else is doing that? To see the love of Christ in us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so for some of us today, it begins with opening our hearts and receiving that gift, receiving Jesus Christ into our lives. Because friends, we can try all we want on our own to love our families and to play these different roles. But on our own strength, we can't do it. But we can through God and through his strength within our lives. 
You know, some pe- there's some of the folks that in our families that are just really hard to love. You're like, I'm trying, but you really don't know how hard this person is to love. If that's the case, and if it's the case you don't even want to be near them, just pray that God, again, would give you that strength that you would dig deep and that that love that would come from you, you know it's not from you because you don't even like being around them. And yet you're loving them. Are you willing to be a love giver in your family to be an instrument of God's grace? Friends, Jesus entered in to the mess of this world, into our complicated families, and he is the one who can bring something beautiful out of them. God's grace is so powerful. He doesn't make mistakes. You were placed in your family for a reason. And the question I leave you with is this. How can you follow Christ's example of becoming a person who shares peace, hope, and love with your family?